If you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 for our scripture reading this morning. Thank you, worship team. That was uh, some beautiful uh, hymn singing that you led us in this morning. And uh, for, the, for the younger people, um, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're maybe not as appreciative of the, the older hymns as, uh, as uh, some of us older people are. But uh, hopefully in time you will be. And if there were words in some of those hymns that you're not sure what they are, go to dictionary.com. Look them up. You'll, you'll, you'll be amazed at uh, the meaning of some of the, those, those words. So again, Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 1. It's the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and the other to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Pastor Lloyd. Good morning, everyone. I want to say thank you for these good songs this morning. I want to say thank you for Brian's pastoral prayer. Uh, The focus on Ukraine was most appropriate with what is taking place in our world. And uh, I wanted to say, Brent... That song, Heaven Came Down, took me to Cobden, Ontario, to camp meeting, sawdust, everything just like you would imagine, the old-fashioned camp meetings, 1964. The Lorne Park College Quartet. Uh, Two of those persons, Victor Stonehouse and Gary Walsh, became very important mentors in my life when I interned under Vic Stonehouse in Kingston, and uh, Gary Walsh became my pastor at Asbury Seminary. So uh, that's where my mind went. And uh, thank you, Brian, for reading the scripture. Uh, Those of you online, thank you for joining us. Uh, You've received the outline of the message uh, by email. Thank you so much uh, for all the the wonderful um, 
behind-the-scenes folks here at Auburn, the tech people uh, and everyone that assists to get ready for Sunday morning, thank you for that. Let's pray together. We do live in perilous times, Lord. And uh, yes, there are things that we read about in the Bible that uh, do seem to be taking place. And so we ask that you would help us to be ready uh, and that we would be at our post ready for the inspection when it comes. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Over the course of 37 years of pastoral ministry, I had the privilege of officiating at approximately 125 weddings. Every wedding has its own unique charm and flavor, and that's the way it should be, because we are all uniquely created by God, and how we express that uniqueness will reflect who we are. I've seen weddings change over the years, too. One of my admonitions to couples is to focus on preparation for marriage as opposed to fixating on the wedding day itself. Uh, My own view is that way too much money is being spent on one day instead of planning and preparing for a lifetime together. I've also seen uh, that wedding invitations are changing. There's a greater variety in invitations today and different ways of responding to the invitation. Uh, When Karen and I were married almost 42 years ago, Uh, It was Canada Post was how you responded, RSVP via Canada Post. But uh, today, uh, I'm not seeing near as many Canada Post uh, uh, envelopes inside the invitation. I'm seeing much more use of email. And uh, that's a good idea, too. But Jesus told a story 21 centuries ago about a great king who sent out invitations to the wedding reception for his son, which are not even responded to. It's hard to believe that those who are invited would not attend the banquet thrown by a king, let alone even respond to the invitation. So here's how the story goes. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared for a wedding banquet for his son. Now, again, In Matthew, we see the phrase kingdom of heaven. In Luke, the parallel passage is Luke 14, verses 15 and following. We see kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. They're synonyms. Kingdom of heaven in Matthew, kingdom of God in Luke are synonymous. He sends out his servants to those who had been invited. He said, it's time. We're ready for this wedding banquet. But they refused to come. So, in verse 4, we're told that more sentence, servants are sent out. In fact, there will be three groups of servants sent out. Tell those invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They paid absolutely no attention. In uh, Luke's parallel passage, verses 18 to 20, we are told that there are three excuses. The first person says, well, I bought a field and I've got to attend to my business. The second, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I've got to try them out. And the third one, I just got married myself, so I I can't come to your 
wedding banquet. Those who refused, verse 6 says, to come seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Well, that evoked a response from the king. He is enraged. He sent his army, destroyed the murderers, and burned down their city. So the wedding banquet is ready. And he says, those that I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite anyone you find to the wedding banquet of a king's son? Yes, verse 10, the servants went out. And notice the language there. They invited both the bad and the good. Interesting. Both the bad and the good, to the point that the wedding hall is filled. Well, we have the king's thoughts and actions recorded for us by Matthew and Luke. But what about the servant's thoughts and actions? Uh, I wonder how they felt. We're not told, so may I do some guessing, hypothesizing this morning? The first group of servants proclaim the readiness to the guests. They don't get any response at all. The second group of servants deliver the same message. They died for their king. The third group go out, and they get what one could only call a motley crew, both the bad and the good. Luke says in verse, 14, in verse 21 of Luke 14 that the people in that wedding hall were the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. All the outcasts of that society. All the ones that didn't count. All the ones that had no value in terms of how that society viewed itself. They're the ones that are there. So, again, what was in the mind of each wave of those servants? What was in the mind of the first servants? Well, I, I have a hunch they couldn't believe they were being refused. This, after all, is the wedding banquet for the king's son. You're invited. Why wouldn't you, RSVP? And, and the second group, how did they feel? Again, I, I suspect they couldn't believe what was being chosen instead of the banquet. Oxen and a field and even marriage. I mean, the marriage conceivably would go on. It wasn't like it was going to be lost because of the fact that they went to the king's wedding banquet. So, the third group. What was the reaction of the servants to the third request the king made? I suspect that that third group couldn't believe what they were being asked to do. I, I suspect they couldn't believe that the king would want this group of people. I mean, uh, they were a very, very different social class than the people who had refused. So, what's going on here? 
Obviously, this is a parable, a story, about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the story of you and I. We're the third group. (laughs) We're the motley crew. We're the ones that God says just go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, both the bad and the good. And the reasons why people still refuse the invitation of the king are outlined for us in the three movements of this parable. There are three reasons why people still today refuse the invitation of the king. First, we fail to realize who is extending the invitation. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the God of all creation. This is the God who is in control of world history, who isn't surprised, as Brian prayed this morning, by what is taking place in Ukraine. Brokenhearted, yes. Feeling what so many of us are feeling, too. Sadness that, once again, the warring madness of humankind has shown up in Europe. But it was the king that was extending this invitation. Uh, second, failure to realize that the joy of the event. It's a, it's a wedding. And then failure to realize the importance of that event in relationship to everything else. Now, for those of us in this sanctuary and online today, we're here, so we probably have realized and have not failed to realize the importance of this and who's extending the invitation. But there's a window here, I think, that will help us understand why our society and those that, that are part of our world and our circle of life, why they refuse the invitation. Again, Failure to realize who is extending the invitation. Friends, it isn't us who's extending this invitation. It's God. And sometimes I think we think we're the ones who are ultimately giving this invitation. It is not. We tell the old, old story. But it is God who has created, who has brought together the story that we tell. We're his servants, but it's his story. Again, failure to realize the joy of the event. I, I wonder sometimes if people decline the invitation to become part of the kingdom of God because they're not sure they want to be part of what they see the kingdom of God being. In other words, and I, I speak of this in my, as I reflect on my own journey too, I think of my own life in this regard. Am I inviting people to a wedding or to a funeral? Is, is there joy in my life to the extent that there needs to be in order for the gospel message to be winsome to those that live around me who are my neighbors, 
who are my family members who don't know the Lord Jesus? Would they want to be part of that? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a moment where we have to step back and say, what, what are we really inviting these folks to? C.S. Lewis's autobiography of his conversion is called Surprised by Joy. Uh, you remember maybe that quote, very famous quote, which I'm doing by heart, so it may not be dead on. But uh, he called himself, the night of his conversion, the most dejected convert in all of Christendom because he had worked so hard for so long to deny the truth of the gospel and then realized down the road of time that it wasn't a sad story he'd been called to, but a joyful one. So perhaps sometimes, maybe, just maybe, the, the joy of the event, the wedding banquet, isn't coming across the way it might. And then finally, failure to realize the importance of the event in relationship to everything else. Um, I'm wondering if the level of insistence increased in proportion to the number of times that the servants were rejected. I wonder, for example, if the first group of servants, when they were turned down, they, well, not too concerned. It's, I mean, it's their choice. And then the second group, perhaps the level of concern went up, and in particularly, as a result of their uh, insistence that they come, they lost their lives, the second group of servants. And then I'm wondering if it really ratcheted up with that third group. Do you know what happened? What will happen to the people who reject this offer? And that's where Jesus is going to go with the last three verses, which I'm coming to. If we truly believe in the reality of heaven and hell, should we not be more insistent than we sometimes are when we tell the story? Should we not say, pardon my insistence, but don't turn down the king's offer? which takes Jesus to the conclusion in verses 11 to 14 of Matthew 22. Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Well, the wedding clothes, of course, we know from the rest of Holy Scripture is the righteousness of God. It can't be our righteousness because who gets to measure how much righteousness is enough? Like my definition of moral might be totally different than someone else's. So who gets to define how moral, how, how good one has to be in order to make it in? That's why Jesus says there's no way you can define morality. He says morality is not a definition, a way to get into heaven. It's my righteousness. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's God's righteousness as opposed to ours. So the dress code is the wedding garment is the righteousness of God. And this one person doesn't have the wedding clothes on, and Jesus says, throw them out. That's what I mean when I say, many get invited, but only a few make it. The king issues the invitation, the invitees do the choosing, and need to have the right clothing. So, why do people refuse God's RSVP? Boil this all down. 
Why did the three groups of servants, for different reasons, why were they turned down? What, what's the core issue? You know, I have, I have struggled with this question uh, all my pastoral ministry before I became a pastor and throughout my pastoral ministry. I, I have to confess that I could not understand at times why people would try every other alternative that's available in this world before they'd bend the knee to Jesus. And their lives would just be an absolute mess. They go from pillar to post, with, from, from one thing to another, and, and Jesus is all the time there uh, extending his arms of love and, and offering a brand new life and a different way of living. And yet, no, I will do it my way. I will, I will figure this out myself. I will do whatever. Well, I've come to the conclusion after all these years that C.S. Lewis is exactly right. He's right about a lot of things in Christian thought, but he's right about the reason for why we chase down every other option that we possibly can imagine. The answer is pride. And here's his quote from Mere Christianity. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. May I suggest this morning that it might be an answer to some of the questions that we're struggling with in our world even this morning. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. That's the thing that stops us from saying, I will respond to God's RSVP. This morning there's lots of us again in the sanctuary and that, on, online that have, uh, have, have responded yes. But just in case there's someone that has not yet responded to God's RSVP, I just want to say to you, the invitation is being offered right now one more time. Through his word, God is saying to you, this offer is available to you. One of the things that, that I've discovered over the years is that the church isn't a home for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And we're all sinners saved by grace. And there's no one that is ever going to be good enough. Again, back to the question of who defines how much good one has to be in order to be good enough. We're all sinners saved by grace. So there's never a time when you're going to be in a spot that says, I'm now good enough for God to say, yes, I'll, I'll accept you. It's in our weakness that we become strong. It's, it's never too late to respond to God's RSVP on this side of the Jordan. The invitation is always there. And again, there's lots of us who have, perhaps everyone that is here 
uh, today in the sanctuary and online has responded uh, to the grace of God. It, it is His amazing grace for sure. Now our role shifts from being invitees to being invitors, from being asked to come to this banquet to asking others to join us at the banquet table. And that shift is more and more and more important as we see the day approaching. As we see the events taking place in our world, which again, only the Lord knows now that he has returned to the right hand of the Father, he too knows. When Jesus was here on earth, he said, I, only the Father knows when I'm coming, the, the, the second and the final time. But he knows now, we don't. But the important thing is for us to be ready. And not only to be ready, to be understanding what our role, our purpose in life is. To invite everyone that we know through our words and through our actions to the marriage feast of the Lamb who came to this world to take upon himself the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have responded to the Father's RSVP. Thank you, Father, that you love the world so much. Thank you, Son, that you were willing to come. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the continuing presence of the Son and the Father here on earth. Would you make us deeply sensitive during these very, very significant days of the importance of not only being ready ourselves, but shifting from being invitees to invitors and asking you to lead us through the pathways of our society, our neighborhoods, our family, to invite everyone to this wonderful, wonderful event to which we look forward when you, Lord Jesus, yourself will be the guest of honor. Prepare us for that day. Between now and then, may we be found faithful. This we ask in your precious holy name. Amen.